You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Just before we get there, I want to introduce a little segment here. It's random. It's called Random Resources. And if it goes well, maybe we'll call it really good random resources from time to time. But we're just going to introduce some things. This has really come from, um, I get asked all sorts of questions at the front of the church after services and elsewhere, and some of our pastors and leaders do too. And I just want to make sure a lot of you know this already, but just some of you are not aware of some, what I consider to be pretty uh, foundational resources. Um, So just super quick, I mean, it's right in front of you right here. Um, The Briefing Podcast by Albert Moeller basically a genius. Um, he's presenting the events of our current day in a Christian worldview. Um, I listen to this so often, find it such a helpful tool for equipping. Um, just really, really helpful. You may not agree with 100% of everything's happening, but it's so good to be able to hear and to understand. So I, I commend that to you so highly. I often will uh, listen, catch up on a couple, to go for a walk yesterday morning, you know, and catch up on a couple episodes, whatever it is. I just find it extremely helpful in our day. He's very bold. He's very um, solid, so solid in the scriptures. We know Al Muller. He's been with us before, too. We're so thankful. Godquestions.org. I want to make sure um, you're aware of this website. Um, look at this. Over 590,000 Bible questions have been answered uh, in the course of the history of their website. Um, I have yet to find a question that I don't find biblically reliable. Okay, so I've searched thousands and thousands of questions on this site, and I've yet to find a question. Again, I think they're fair in how they present things, um, but as far as I can tell and others, um, extremely thorough, biblical, trustworthy, um, and extremely helpful. Like you, any question you got, um, often people come up to the front, they got a really strong question. They say, Listen, I can tell you a bit of answer right now, but go home, uh, type it in this website. You will be super helped as you do because you get to see it, read it, and make sure it's accurate as well. Finally, ESV Study Bible app. Um, this is an obvious one, and the ESV Study Bible is amazing. Um, I would use on a weekly basis, sometimes daily, um, the ESV Study Bible on my phone or the app, uh, just as an initial brief commentary on God's Word. Um, again, super trustworthy, super reliable, just as an initial sense of what does this passage mean. Um, I use it all the time personally um, as well, so just want to commend that to you. If you don't have it, it is well worth the investment, however you might be able to access that, particularly the Bible study notes that are within. If you have your ESV study Bible, then you're set in that sense. I don't have an ESV study Bible that I use as my Bible reading, but I certainly want to have the notes as a companion um, in terms of on an app or whatever, and it's really, really accessible, all right? So that's just some random resources, and again, if they're really good later on, we might call the segment really good random resources, all right? But we'll see um, how that goes. All right, Acts chapter 4, our sermon title today is this, The Praying Church. That's exciting, The Praying Church. This is a passage and a theme really that deserves um, a really juicy quote to get started. Actually, maybe uh, three juicy quotes to get started, And we will provide these quotes as a means of capturing your conscience and of creating conviction um, in our hearts. So quote number one on the praying church, Ian Bounds. You can't really do a prayer quote without quoting Ian Bounds, okay? Um, Nothing distinguishes the children of God so clearly and strongly as prayer. Bam. Just sit on that for a second. Nothing distinguishes the Christian so clearly as prayer. It is the one infallible mark and test of being a Christian. So according to Ian Bounds, the, great, the single greatest test or mark of a Christian is prayer. A next quote. Next quote by Jonathan Edwards. Incredibly powerful, tremendous theologian. 
He says there is no way that Christians in a private capacity can do so much to promote the work of God and advance the kingdom of Christ um, as by prayer. Okay, so the first quote, the greatest test of the Christian. Now we see here, according to Jonathan Edwards, the greatest uh, work of the Christian is prayer. It's prayer to, to advance the kingdom of God as individuals, as families, as the church um, is prayer. Are we praying? Uh, third quote, we, we used this, I think, a month ago, but again, we don't remember stuff, so we're going to bring it up again, and it's so good right now for us as a church corporately. Uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. Uh, do you know we have a prayer meeting this Wednesday at 7 p.m.? Did you know that? Good. So is the prayer meeting as a graceometer. That's good. And from it, we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. Okay, so look at this. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. Isn't that so telling? And if he be not there, one of the first indications of why God is absent again from a particular church or movement will be a slothfulness in prayer. So not surprisingly then, we see um, the early church begin to carve a path right away of passionate and powerful prayer. In fact, today our text is the longest recorded study or the longest recorded prayer in the book of Acts. We're going to see this. The early church is believing in prayer and relying on prayer and living out prayer. And then they're going to see answered prayer. So look at Acts chapter 4. And let's just look at the first two verses from our text today, verse 23. And it says this, says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Verse 24. And notice, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God um, and said. Okay, so this is important and this is amazing. The apostles... They returned to their friends and reported what happened to them. Just by way of reminder, in case you weren't here last week or you've been absent from where we have been. So in our passage um, last week and just before this in the text, the early church, the disciples and apostles were commanded by the Sadducees, the religious leaders, not to speak, quote, not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And then the religious leaders threatened them. And they tried to intimidate them. And now we see what is the response of the early church to such intimidation and such threats. Here is the, here's the response of the apostles to the threat to not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. The response is this. They pray. But specifically this. They pray for more boldness. So in the midst of the opposition to not be bold in Jesus' name, the early church turns around and prays for just that. They pray for more boldness to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And so what they do is they start a prayer meeting. You can see that in verse 24. When they heard this, they lifted their voices. Now notice this key word, together. They're lifting their voices to God together. This is prayer. This is corporate prayer. You see that word together? That word together is important. It occurs 11 times in the New Testament. Uh, ten of them are found in the book of Acts. It means one mind. Uh, they had one soul. They had one heart. They were in unity. They were 
in agreement. Like, now watch this. As they, as they pray, this is what prayer does. Prayer is so beautiful because prayer can unite us like nothing else. It's so, it's so awesome when you hear the stories of people coming to prayer meetings. You, I mentioned we have a prayer meeting this Wednesday, 7 p.m. Did I say, okay, good, I'll make sure you know, okay? And when we pray together in church as well, even in these settings, it's amazing to me how God will take this simple but beautiful act of prayer and find such unity and power and blessing and grace among us as we do that. Of course, that's no secret in marriage, that's no secret in families, no secret in friendship. Prayer, prayer just brings such a powerful humility and invitation of God's blessing upon our lives. That's why the church here is really smart. Notice this too, Kate. Notice their holy reflex. By the way, what's your reflex in the midst of opposition and trial? In the midst of their, what's your reflex? Uh, human control, human fear, human flesh response. The holy reflex of the early church in the midst of crisis is to pray. The first thing they do is they pray. So watch this. Their united instinct was dependence. That's the sign of the praying church. Their united instinct together is to pray. So this becomes, listen, this becomes a, mature, uh, a maturity moment for us, you say, uh, how do I know? What's one of the ways I know that I'm growing in maturity in Jesus Christ? It's kind of counterintuitive to, to, to the way we think, and it's certainly counterintuitive to our world. One of the ways you and I know that we are maturing in Jesus Christ is our instinct is increasingly dependence. The more we're growing in Christ, the more we're dependent upon him. So is our instinct dependence in prayer? That's one of the great signs that we're maturing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's watch now specifically um, what makes this church a praying church and why. Why are they such a strong praying church? We're going to answer that question in three main ways. Why do they pray this way? Why are they such a praying church? Answer number one is this, or even question number one we'll answer as we ask it is this. How can we not pray um, when our God is sovereign? Okay, that's the first thing. How can we not pray when our God is sovereign? Look at, look at verse 24. So look at how their prayer begins. In fact, there's, there's seven verses here of their prayer in this recording. And five of them deal explicitly with the sovereignty of God. So five out of seven verses on prayer um, are all about the sovereignty of God. Of God. Verse 24. They said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage, the peoples plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed? Notice, for truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, look at verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, notice again in these verses, every phrase of this, of the portion of this prayer, every phrase is dripping with the sovereignty of God. Every phrase dripping with the sovereignty of God. Now remember, they've just been handed a significant and serious crisis. Do not speak or teach 
in the name of Jesus. For the first time in the church's history, in this way, they are confronted by the religious leaders of all people, and they're commanded and threatened and imprisoned for speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus. And their first response, their first response in this crisis is not to say, uh, help us right away, or not to say, oh, poor us, God. It's not to feel sorry for themselves. Their first response, like, like learn from this right here, their first response is to stare at God's sovereignty. Trial comes, and they stare at God's sovereignty. Threaten comes, and they stare at God's sovereignty. And they speak God's sovereignty. Isn't that so tough? Do not miss this, church. Do not miss this in your life right now. Do not miss the Holy Spirit desired application for your life. Health crisis hits. Stare at God's sovereignty. Child rebels against the Lord. Stare at God's sovereignty. Financial heartache hits. Stare at God's sovereignty. Culture threatens in with darkness. Stare at God's sovereignty. That's what they're doing. Why? Because he has all the answers. We got nothing. He's the Lord of glory. We're nothing. He controls everything. We control nothing. Look at what they did here. They stare at the sovereignty. They, they proclaim the sovereignty of God. And notice the detail of how they do it in verse 24. They recall, God, you are sovereign over creation. You made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in it. Lord, you are the Lord of all creation. See what they're doing right here? You are the master of all creation. You created them all. Every creature, every plant, every planet, every person. You created everything. Okay, okay, learn from the early church. Filled by God's spirit. Look at what they're doing. They are holding up the doctrine of creation as the first instance of their prayer to remind themselves of the God of glory who created the heavens and the earth. And if he did that, he can do anything. By the way, side note, consider again how the theory of evolution seeks to drain the force and the application of God's glory right from the very beginning. Satan's very clever. The first thing the early church does was look at God and say, you are the God of all creation. And that is why we have so much confidence and faith and boldness because you are the one Lord of the universe and we belong to you. I like our chances. And this is how they pray. But remember, they are reminding themselves of God. Not so God will know who he is. God knows who he is. You remind yourself of who God is so that you can remember and be reminded of the power and the, and the strength and the infinite wisdom and the beauty. That's why we sing the songs we sing. That's why we read scripture. This is why we pray in this way as well. It's amazing to me again. The early church building and the doctrine of creation, their faith is growing as they say it. You made everything, and we belong to you. And then look at verse 25. Who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy, Holy Spirit, look at them here. And they say, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot? The kings set themselves, the rulers gathered against the Lord and his anointed. They, they, they are quoting here again. They are quoting uh, Psalm 2. And notice here, notice, notice again, don't miss this. As they pray, they are saturated with Scripture. Don't miss that. They are filled by God's Spirit. They are proclaiming God's sovereignty. And Scripture fills them as they pray as well. As they pray, they are filled with the Word, and the Word comes out. Listen, loved ones, Word and prayer always go together. The word and prayer are not to be separated, brought together in the power for the glory of Jesus Christ. 
And again, in these verses, they're saying, God, you are sovereign over creation. Notice, you are sovereign over history. Again, they quote Psalm 2. Psalm 2's always fascinated me. I've always loved Psalm 2 because what Psalm 2 is, it's, it's detailing the enemies of God. It's detailing how the enemies, the worldly leaders, how the culture um, mocks God, holds him in such opposition and rejection. But then it explains how God is sovereign and responds to his enemies in the end. Actually, Psalm 2, it says God laughs at the attempts of humanity against him. That's super encouraging to me. I love that. And notice it says here, the nations and the kings rage against the Lord and against his anointed. And the rulers take counsel together against him. No, no, no. This, this is quite something. You know, watch this. So in verse 25 and 26, they're quoting Psalm 2. Now look at what they do in Psalm 27 and Psalm 20. Look at how precisely the situation with Christ when he was crucified is fulfilled exactly from Psalm 2. You're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, watch this. It says, for truly, verse 27, for truly in the city there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. So if you look up at verse 25, notice, um, why did the Gentiles rage? And the Gentiles will be mentioned in verse 27 there as well. And the people's plot in vain. The kings set themselves against. Notice, kings is related to Herod in verse 27. And the rulers, and rulers is related to Pontius Pilate there in verse 27. They were gathered together, and the word against happens twice in both verse 26 and verse 27. And against the anointed. And, and the word anointed shows up again in verse 27 as well. See what they're doing right here? They're like, Psalm 2 was precisely and exactly fulfilled when Jesus Christ was crucified by Herod, the Gentiles, Pontius Pilate, and those who raged against him. And so as the early church, as, as the Holy Spirit's drawing all these connections together, as they're praying to the God who's sovereign over creation and the God who is sovereign over all of history, you can imagine the fuel of faith that is growing up within them as they recognize down to the very leader this has been predicted. As they're praying in this way, they're like, wow, our God is awesome. Now think of it this way. Here's some application with the crucifixion and the resurrection. When Jesus Christ is being crucified, the panic, the anguish, the grief of the church, or at least his disciples, they are so distraught. Now they turn weeks later and they look back upon the events that God had planned and now they become not grief and anguish, now they become sources of tremendous faith and boldness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. See how God works there? That's the power of praying again according to God's will. Because you see there, look at verse 28. All these things happen to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So, so this, this is so awesome. So consider the awe of the early church as they understand all of this happening together. Consider the awe and the wonder. Look at our God. There's nothing beyond him. This is exactly what he wanted to happen. There's nothing outside of his control. There's nothing he isn't sovereign over. There's no person, no circumstance. There's no situation of heartache that he is not precisely and intimately aware of. And he cannot use to fulfill his plan for his eternal plan of redemption and salvation across this world. Our God is sovereign. That is awesome. And do you notice also in the prayer of the early church, this is often missed. 
Did you notice how important theology and doctrine is to this church? Like, look in this one prayer so far. Notice in this one portion of prayer, as they pray, they go through the doctrine of creation. They go through the doctrine of God's sovereignty. They go through the inspiration of Scripture. If you look there in verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Right there, as they pray, they're like, your words inspired by the Holy Spirit of God who spoke through the mouth of David. That's awesome. Look at how important doctrine is to the early church as they pray. Look what's happening here. Because the Holy Spirit's filling them, and the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit's the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit doesn't separate a passionate pursuit of God from teaching or doctrine or theology. It all comes together. It all comes together. You want to grow in the will of God and the maturity in Jesus Christ? Doctrine is so precious to the Lord in prayer, filled with God's Spirit, and a passionate hunger and pursuit of Him as well. The praying church is the truth church, and it becomes, again, it becomes the source of their prayer. So let us, let us learn early and often here from the early church. They see their situation. They see their God. They see his sovereignty. They see their salvation. And wow, this becomes such fuel for incredible, powerful prayer. I mean, what would we do if we did not believe our God is sovereign? Think of how awesome. I was, this week I was um, stumbled upon a radio station from California and some of the different crisis from going through and, 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 and the heartache being experienced. I just noticed a phrase at the end, these, these kind of disc jockey radio commentators there, and they're just commenting on some of the heartache situation, the heartbreak, and they said at the end of the sentence, they just said, and I just kind of heard it and I thought about it, and they said, we really appreciate your thoughts. And that was it. Thank you for your thoughts. And on a human level, I'm just like, I know what they used to say. Our culture used to say, thoughts and prayers. But now, because we're eliminating God so much, and because we're so secular and post-Christian, now we don't pray. So now we just say, thank you for your thoughts. And I was sitting there, and like, as much as the heartache of all the situations happening, I'm like, what, what good are thoughts going to do? It can be an encouragement on some level, but the reality is, again, they are absolutely with, withdrawing, and they have eliminated the only hope for our lives at all. If we do not believe in a sovereign God and we do not pray, we have no hope at all. Little subtle things that are happening right here. Oh, church, we must never ever even draw near to that kind of lack of faith or approach to that which will eliminate the only chance and hope we have in our God who is awesome and glorious. And we must pray and pray and pray and pray. If we don't pray, where will we be? If we don't pray, what do we have? Our God is sovereign. This is why we pray. Because our God is sovereign, it compels us to pray. And this is why the world is so without hope. Because as they have no God to pray to, they have no answers for anything that happens, and a hope for anything that is to come. How can we not pray when our God is sovereign? Number two, how can we not pray when our God holds the power? How can we not pray when our God holds the power? Look at verse 29 now. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. So notice, they come through this massive sequence of sovereignty and glory and now they move to petition, but notice how they pray. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, let's remember the threats that they're talking about are very real. 
Lord, look upon their threat. These threats in a couple of chapters, two chapters from now, these threats um, will cause Stephen to be stoned to death. These threats will result in chapter 12 of James having his head cut off. Like that's James of John and James. Like the inner three with Jesus. These threats are real. Are they paralyzed with human fear? No. We actually see here they're fired up with spirit-filled faith. Well, how could that be? Why is that? They understand that God holds all the power. The more you're focused on God's sovereignty and his power and glory, you know he is the one in control again of all things. When you believe he holds all the power, what happens? If you believe God is the source of all true power, it compels you to pray. Remember, the basic theology of prayer is what? Is this. Look here, look here, look here. The basic theology of prayer is help. Right? The, the ultimate reason we pray is because we know we can't. That's why I've always said, you've heard me say it 100 times here to 101 times. Okay? If you don't pray, if our lives are prayerless, we are indicating to God whether we want to or not, thanks God, but I got it. And if we do that, that makes us very dumb. And that makes us incredibly unbiblical. And yet how many of the stats say that the church that the church is filled and filled with people and leaders and pastors who simply don't pray? Which means their theology is 100% out of whack. Which also means one of the greatest results in things like persecution or us feeling threatened for our faith can actually result in a greater fervency and dependence on God in prayer, which would be awesome. That result would be so good. And this is what's happening again in the early church that we see. Now in our day, in our day, in our society right now, we've seen all sorts of things legalized in our day like never before. But remember, in the early church, they just saw evangelism criminalized. We command you not to speak in the name of Jesus. And again, their response, though, is their prayers for evangelism actually increase. Their desire for boldness grows. Their expectation of their God intensifies in the midst of such opposition. Notice their strategy here is prayer. Before all else, their strategy is for God grant your servants boldness to speak your word. Isn't that awesome? Question, how hard have you and I been praying? Like, sincerely, how hard have we been praying? How hard have you been praying for boldness with the gospel? In the recent days, weeks, and months, how hard have you been praying for boldness with the gospel? Remember, this, this prayer meeting we're going through right now in Acts, this prayer meeting has two requests. The two requests both pertain to evangelism. Did I mention we have a prayer meeting this week at 7 p.m. and that we're praying for boldness? We're praying for boldness this week. This prayer meeting here has two requests and both pertain to evangelism. As a response of the early church, the reality of the evil that's around them or the threat that's upon them. I think part of the problem is that we look at verse 30, where it says, you may stretch out your hand and do miracles and signs and wonders, and we see God's power, and we can say, well, well, that was then. I mean, that's the early church, man. They had a special time, and it was a special time. But we can say, well, God's power poured out then. You know, that's then, and, and, and here we are now. But remember, the God of then is the God of now. Right? We, 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 we have to believe that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, I, mean, I don't know about you, but I, I get to sit and watch every baptism. 
And that's, and that's, a, that's a huge benefit, attending all four services. And last weekend, I'm watching baptisms, and like what really struck out to me in, in, in two particular cases is we had two women in the tank who both testified individually, and I, I learned the backstory a little bit of this. They were a year apart, didn't know each other. They were both steeped in New Age false cult religion. They were steeped in New Age. They both came across the same video on YouTube of a testimony of someone who's been delivered from this New Age cult, false religion, false teaching. They're brought to Christ a year apart through the same video on the internet, completely radically changed. And if I get this right, the one lady, again, in her testimony, she's going around her house and she's literally throwing out anything that remotely had to do with anything of her past if they experienced the dark and demonic realities of what is antichrist. And I'm sitting there listening to the baptism service and I'm like, are you kidding me? These testimonies and two women, again, with the same testimony, didn't know each other, a year apart, the same video, and they're brought to life in Jesus Christ. I'm sitting there, I go, what can do that but the gospel? I mean, who, who can change a life like that other than Jesus Christ? I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. You know, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, God, you are awesome. You are wonderful. And I just, like, it just, it just, that's a miracle, amen? Like, that's a miracle. And there's miracles in this happening all over our world. The media never tells you these things. But we got to take them and see them and say, look at our God work. He's still doing unbelievable, miraculous transformations of bringing people from death to life to be with him forever. What's a greater miracle than that, huh? Huh? There is no greater miracle than that. This is what our God is doing. And are we praying for the boldness that we could be the next seed or person to lead someone to Christ that they might know the truth? God, help us. God, help me. God, help me. Every time you hear a story of somebody who's brought to Christ, let's say, and at the end, and, and, and a person came up to me, and I, I, I even heard this week, I heard this week another story of, of a pilots, and one pilot say, witnessing to his other pilot friend brought to Christ, and the, and the transformation story, and what happens, and just like, it's just, just taking the chance to be bold for Jesus Christ. God help us. God help us. I think we see the threats in our day And we can be like, quick, in the holy huddle, quick, in the holy huddle. The early church saw the threats and they thought, man, our God is awesome. Our God is awesome. He's about to show power. Now, if the holy huddle is a prayer for boldness, then I'm in. But it doesn't stay there. I love here, the early church, they don't play defense, right? They don't play defense when they're threatened. They actually go on the offensive. They gather to get built up and strengthened in prayer, but then they go on the offense, again, to their own cost, but to God's glory. Hey, church, I just, like, from me to you and from you to me right now, like, just sitting ourselves, like, do, you, do you really think God is done showing his power? But I want you to really, I want you to really ask yourself that right now. Like, do we really think that God is done showing his power among us in his church. I don't care what nation it is. I don't care where it is. I mean, the answer, of course, is no, he's not done. And he wants to use his church in profound ways. And listen, he wants to use you. And he wants to use me in profound ways. This is why we have to pray. This is how can we not pray when our God holds all the power. I know that Some of us feel threatened on some level in our day and become insecure, threatened by pressure and culture and laws and people and politics. I think we can feel sorry for ourselves. I think we can be tempted to retreat and apologize or at least 
just cower, or by faith we can believe that God's power could be unleashed in such a glorious and awesome way. Hey, will it get harder? Almost assuredly. Will it get harder in our day? Almost assuredly. Will we get to see God's work and power? Absolutely guaranteed. Will we get to see God work in power? Absolutely guaranteed. Can I say something totally serious? As, as your pastor right now, and just with all sincerity, would you pray for me in this way? And I will pray for you. Promise. Have been, am, and will. Would you pray for me? And I'll pray for you. We pray for one another. Like, I mean that. Like, I mean that. Okay? And just in case, I'm not sure what you pick up sometimes sitting there and listening to me. Listen, listen I, I can't do this. I can't do it on my own. There's no way. It has to be Christ in me and Christ in you. And the greatest way we access the power of God through our lives, through the person, the power of the Holy Spirit, is through the means of request and prayer and pleading with our God to do what only he can. why our single greatest instinct and reaction has to be to pray. This, this is what the Lord uses. And believing in the miracles he will do. I, I, I just finished reading a book this week. I was so blessed. I mean, we have so many friends in Romania. I read a book of a female lawyer in Romania during the communist regime under the brutal, brutal dictator Nicolae Ceausescu. And I've been to Romania a couple of times, and you, you, you have a, enough of a context to understand where the country is now, and to read this book, and to see this young woman standing up for the church in the midst of the most extreme corrupt system of government that you can imagine, seemingly with no chance, the laws are literally changed in the courtroom as the government wants to find its own path to securing victory and persecuting the church at all costs and here she is and she's trying to defend the church and it ends up in the end where this man walks into her office the other person leaves it's just him in her office at the end her life has tried to be taken in the past he sits down pretending to be a client the door is closed it is locked all of a sudden he pulls out a gun he's a massive man she's a tiny woman points a gun at her and says i've been wanting to kill you for so many years now now's my chance you're about to die She freaks out, like inside. Who wouldn't? She's like, here, she's two young girls. Life's over. And then in that moment, the miracle upon miracle in that moment is God moves and hears her cry as she prays. In that movement, as she understands God holds all the power, she begins to talk to this man. And long story short, she explains to him the gospel. He softens. He starts to change. She hammers home the love and life of Jesus Christ in that moment, holding his gun, pointing at her. He is brought to Christ. He is brought to tears. And all these years later, he would leave. He would leave. Listen, all these years later, they would be reunited. He would become a pastor of such a large church and planting churches in Romania as they were reunited all these years later. Who can do that but God? Who can do that but God? That's awesome. Amen. And I read that and tell you, oh, man, I, I'm so humbled. I'm so encouraged. I get fired up to say, man, we limit our God too much, don't we? We limit our God. We pray to ourselves as opposed to the Lord. 
Like really, we keep trying to think we can fix stuff and try to uh, organize our situations and, 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 and control our, our situations. We can't do that. Our God can do anything. And notice at the end of verse 30, notice, as signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There it is again. See that church? See that church where the early church is obsessed with? The name, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus Christ and given him the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name above every name. No one comes close. No one can touch him. He is that good and that glorious and that powerful and that beautiful and that amazing and that strong and that wise. He's been given the name above every name. You think of the most powerful leader right now in the world, most powerful person, whatever it is, most powerful organization, company, whatever you think it is, and Jesus Christ makes them look like dirt. He is that powerful and that awesome and, again, that glorious. How can we not pray when he holds all the power, when he is absolutely our sovereign God? And thirdly and finally, how can we not pray? Listen, listen. When our God loves to answer. How can we not pray when we know our God loves to hear and answer our prayers? Look at, look at verse 31. And when they had prayed... Don't, like, don't miss that. And when they had prayed. And when they had prayed. Are we praying? God help us to pray. And when they had prayed. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. In the Old Testament, the shaking of a place was a sign of God saying, I'm with you. It was a sign of the manifestation and the glory of God in the midst of his people. It was God saying, I am present. I have heard your prayer. I am with you. I am for you. I love you. I am powerfully, powerfully residing in your presence. I am the God and the Lord of the universe. When the Lord shows up with his manifest presence in that way, when the God, God of glory comes and shakes a, a place and fills his people, he is authenticating his church. He is encouraging his church. He is bringing assurance to his church. He is building faith in his church. He is producing songs from his church. He is changing lives through the presence of his glory and his power. No wonder the psalmist says, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence. Seek his presence continually. And when they had prayed, the place that they were gathered together was shaken. I mean, just you think of the parallels from Pentecost here. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the person and the power of the Holy I mean, if you're picking up anything as we go through Acts, you and I need to be desperately dependent and seeking the filling of God's. One, one baptism, many fillings. One baptism at, 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 at conversion, many fillings. Oh God, fill us again, fill us again, and fill us again. Here's a quote by John Stott, so good, so helpful, so right. He said this, before Christ sent the church into the world, he sent the spirit into the church. Bam. We forget that. The same order must be observed today. It's why we pray this week. 
Before we can be sent in the world, the Spirit must be again sent into us. That was the way it began in the very start. And for us now to be filled by the Spirit of God, to continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. It's deeply encouraging to me. It's just right. And then notice the praying church is the filled church, and the filled church becomes the bold church. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Please, please, please see. The last thing we want around here is a flesh-given man-producing boldness, which is seeking to just make yourself be propped up in arrogant self-righteousness upon a a lost world that's just looking to judge the next arrogant, condemning Christian. Boldness is not man-made. Boldness is God-given. The Spirit of God fills them, and then they have a supernatural love and grace and truth that is seeking to desperately see people saved by love in the message that they've been given. Lord, we need you to move in us that your boldness might be seen from us. And I believe God is setting the stage to move powerfully in our day. I really do. Don't know how, don't know when. I just believe with all this happening around us in our world today, I really believe and want to have as much faith as ever. I'm begging, personally, I'm, I'm begging God to have unexplainable mercy on thousands and thousands and thousands of souls.